Take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We do have a couple of uh, young men being baptized at the end of our service today, which is encouraging. It's good to see, to say the least. We have observed the Lord's Supper together, which is an obedient thing to do and a, something that should draw us into right thinking. And now we're going to read beginning in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Just through verse 24 this morning. Let me read it to you now. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. Now, uh, I really don't know how impactful this uh, sermon this morning will be for you, but uh, it's a relief to me after preaching uh, on a number of controversial issues uh, the last few weeks. Uh, some of this may seem controversial uh, to you, but... Uh, Frankly, it's not, uh, and instead, uh, I get the opportunity to hopefully refocus the attention of some whose eyes might have wandered a little bit, which is a, a great thing about God's Word, is that it, it has the power to refocus us. If you notice throughout those verses that I read, there's one word that continues to show up over and over and over again. It is the word called or calling. It's an interesting concept. One that gets used in the Western world constantly. A calling. What are you called to do? What is your calling in life? I think when most people speak of a calling, they are expressing a sense of purpose in the direction of their efforts. That's how I would define it. When most people talk about being called to do something or feeling a sense of calling, what they're saying is, I believe that I am supposed to pursue this thing, this object, this relationship, this job, this goal, this function. And because I believe this is what I am called to pursue, this is then where I'm going to direct my efforts and energy. Some people are pretty good at that. Others are not. 
But I think that's what the world means when it speaks of calling. And you hear those phrases, don't you? I found my calling in life. I finally found my calling in life. People trying to answer the question, what am I supposed to do? Sometimes it gets expressed with the question, what are you passionate about? What, are you, what do you care about? What really fires you up? I've never had a very good answer for those things. Um, in preparing for the sermon this morning, I, I went on to YouTube and I wanted to look up some videos to see what other people had suggested about calling. And I found right away, some of you may have heard of these TED Talks that people give. You ever heard of these? The TED Talks that are on YouTube. They're basically conference talks where speakers stand up and they basically have 15 minutes to share on a subject. Very secular, you know, always corporate sponsored and put together uh, in universities or assembly halls. But it's an interesting, sometimes it's interesting to listen to, sometimes it's not. But it's interesting from my perspective because when you see a TED talk on something, you know that this is something that the world thinks is important and that people ought to be thinking about. That's what TED talks are. They're talks from people who are supposedly experts who have some experience in a subject matter and they're supposed to stand up and in 15 minutes say things that are interesting and intriguing about something that you should be thinking about. So when I typed in, find your calling, in the YouTube little Google box at the top, I found a TED Talk right away. And I didn't just find one. It was kind of amazing. I found TED Talk after TED Talk after talk after talk after talk. There have been a lot of these TED conferences, and it seems like at every one of these things, somebody is talking about how to find your calling, which I thought is pretty interesting. There must be a lot of students and a lot of people in different vocations who are still trying to figure out what exactly their purpose in their career, in their education, perhaps more broadly, their life might be. It was interesting because while I was hoping to narrow in on some commonalities as I looked through the subject matter, instead I found a lot of contradiction. For instance, uh, one of the TED Talks was labeled Stop searching for your passion. I thought, well, okay. I can see where that's coming from. But then the next one on the list was how to connect to your passion. And I thought, well, hold, hold that's, that's kind of... Uh, uh. Another one was find your calling where it hurts. It's an interesting approach. Another one was find clarity in your calling, how to find and live your calling, how to have a fulfilling life. And there are titles like this just over and over and over again. And I thought, wow, this is something that the world really cares about, isn't it? Um, I think the first time a child is exposed to this idea of a calling or a purpose or what they're supposed to do is when you, you look to a Young man, young woman, a little boy, a little girl, and you say, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, talk about one of the most unfair questions you can ask a seven-year-old, you know? <laughs> you know what Hallie told me? You remember, Hallie, what you told me when you were six and I asked you that question? Well, there was the, I remember the first one. What do you want to do when you grow up, Hallie? She said, I want to be a dolphin trainer. <laughs> dolphin trainer. Which I thought was cute for a six-year-old and noble. 
take care of dolphins. Not a great profession for people living in central Ohio, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I thought it was interesting. The idea of a calling or a purpose speaks to something that exists in every human being and yet most human beings really struggle to figure out why this thing exists inside of us. In other words, the idea that my life matters, that my life is of some consequence, that my life was created, that my life was established, that I am who I am, that I'm where I am for some purpose, that speaks to a a part of our soul that animals don't share. That speaks to what the Bible calls the image of God implanted on our lives, that what we do is of consequence, or at least has the potential to be of consequence. That life is not meaningless. That it's not one day to the next monotony with no accomplishment and no purpose. There is something inside the human condition that wants to, that feels driven to, define life by a purpose, and we call this calling. Now, with an acknowledgement to the world that a calling is a real and valid thing to concern yourself with, let's look at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians and just see four things that we read from chapter 1. Now, it's been a while since we were in chapter 1. We're moving verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. But if you look in chapter 1, Paul uses this language four times of calling. Now that we're in chapter 7, I presume that this is the calling that he's speaking of. So chapter 1, verse 2, we read this. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So here we find Paul speak, speaking of the idea of calling as to be called to a group of people. In this case, saints. Notice it's not an individual thing. You're not called to be a saint individually. He says, called to be saints, and then he emphasizes the community aspect of this when he says, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So when the Bible, when God's word speaks of calling, it speaks, at least in one sense, of our identity to a broader group to our belonging to the people of God, to our belonging to those who have been made holy, made sanctified by the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. So calling in chapter 1, one of the things that we see is an identity to a group. Verse 9, the idea of a calling shows up again. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And here we see calling into a relationship. So if we first saw calling as an identity, maybe a relationship with others in that identity group, here we see calling, as God speaks of it, Him calling us into a relationship 
with Jesus. So there is no calling to speak of except for the calling to fellowship with God's Son. So identity, relationship. In verse 24 of chapter 1. I'll start in verse 22. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks is foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. In other words, when we preach Christ crucified to people who are not called into this identity, who are not called into this relationship, it sounds like a stumbling block, something that they trip over, something that intellectually doesn't make sense. What do you mean the Messiah was crucified? Or it's just foolishness that this Messiah was crucified. But... When we speak that message to those who are called, to them it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the third aspect of calling, if the first was identity and the second is relationship, in chapter 1, I would define the third as understanding. When God calls people into an identity of being His children, being His people, when He brings them into a relationship with His Son Jesus... He does this by giving them an understanding of what's been done for them on their account, an understanding of Jesus Christ. An understanding of what happened at the cross, what it was that Jesus performed there. Not simply an acknowledgement that Jesus went to the cross and did something, but a true grasp of what it is He did. And how else can a Christian understand that except in the terms of what it is He did for me? So a calling speaks to an identity, a relationship, an understanding. And then in verse 26 of chapter 1, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many of you are wise, according to the flesh, not many of you are mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh should glory in His presence but of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written he who glories let him glory in the Lord in other words your calling was not to your own glory or to your own achievement or to your own greatness your calling was to God's glory to demonstrate his greatness and whatever good thing takes place in you whether verse 30 it's wisdom or righteousness or sanctification or redemption this is the work of Christ being performed in you to God's glory so that 
No flesh, verse 29, should glory in his presence so that it might be fulfilled. Verse 31, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So if there's an identity that we're called to, if there's a relationship that we're called to, if there's an understanding that we're called to, this is the purpose that we're called to. This is what the rest of the world is grasping at. When they speak of calling, this is what they're trying to find. Meaning. Substance. Purpose. Be careful, then, when you identify your calling or your purpose, when you sit down and do goal setting, when you lay out your objectives, be careful what you name. Be careful the direction that you decide you're going to let your energy flow into. Where you're going to pour your work and your heart into. Be careful lest what you choose become your master. Let's think now on verse 17. Let's try to understand the text through verse 24. Now in verse 17, we know in this chapter, Paul's answering questions. The the church in Corinth has written him questions. That was verse 1 of chapter 7. says, now concerning the things which you wrote to me. So he's answering questions. And this is what he says in verse 17. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Here is a Bible commentator by the name of Leon Morris. He wrote this about about this verse specifically. Live the life that is set before you using the gifts that God has given you. Live the life that is set before you using the gifts that God has given you. And I would say to you this morning, that is true freedom. Living the life that God has set before you, to the best of your ability, with the gifts that God has given you, with the purpose of bringing glory to His name, that is freedom. Don't make your calling some earthly agenda. Don't make your calling a job a career. Don't do it. It will disappoint you. It will disappoint you in one of two ways. Either you won't be able to attain it, or you'll attain it, and it won't deliver what it promises. Because even if you get to the highest level that you reach for, and experience the maximum benefit that you could possibly imagine, eventually, you will die and stand before the Lord. And as the Lord Jesus in parable says, what good will your money be to you then? Do not set your agenda. Do not identify your purpose and your calling in earthly things. Even good earthly things. And a job is a good earthly thing. Don't set your calling and the purpose and the direction of your life in a marriage relationship. If that's what you do, it will ultimately disappoint you and you can have a wonderful marriage. But death will part you.
don't set your calling, kids, on a sport. Don't set your calling on a group of friends. Don't set your calling on experiences. These things will let you down. They will not fulfill what they promise. Instead, as God has distributed to you whatever gifts He's given you in your life, and as the Lord has called you into this relationship and this identity, live that way the best that you can to God's glory. Here is uh, another writer in the book of Hebrews. And this is what he writes. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Not make it your aim to go figure out my destination and then set all my energy in pursuit of it. That's not what it says. Let us Run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, the wisest person here who is going to live for the next five or ten years has no idea what that race is going to be like. Has no idea. You don't know who's going to die, who's going to be born, who's going to betray, who's going to be faithful, what investments are going to pay off, And which ones are going to leave something bankrupt? You have no idea. There is something humble. There is something appropriate for Christian people when talking about the future. There is something appropriate in saying, I don't know. There is a race that God has set my feet upon. There is a course in which I'm supposed to walk. And I don't know what it entails. But I know that God has blessed me. I know that He has called me and so I will glorify Him in whatever that leads me. I will do the best that I can there. Jesus said when making plans, do not say, I'm going to go and do this in such and such a country and I'm going to accomplish this, but instead say, if the Lord allows, I will do this and that. What point is He trying to make? We're we're never supposed to reserve the vacation? You know, we're never supposed to... That's not what He's saying. He's He's drawing us into this idea of purpose. When Jesus called his own disciples, how did he call them? He said, come, follow me. To some, he said, I will make you fishers of men. To the broader group, he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Every day, if you follow me, you're going to go somewhere. Every day, if you follow me, You will have objectives. There will be things to do. There will be ways to do it rightly. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's the instruction of the Lord. Does that sound like some 30-year plan to greatness? No. Live the life that is set before you using the gifts that God has given you. This is freedom. That will be enough. Your life will not be incomplete because you didn't accomplish this or you didn't accomplish that. But your life will be incomplete entirely, unfulfilled, 
if you accomplish all the greatest feats the world has to offer and you don't follow Jesus Christ. So, Paul is going to answer a couple of very difficult personal questions. And he starts by purpose and calling and understanding. What are the questions? Verse 18. I would describe verses 18 through 20 as social pressure. This is what it says. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. In other words, there was unfathomably to us, tremendous social pressure around whether or not you were circumcised, which traditionally identified you as a part of God's chosen people, or uncircumcised, which was the heathen and the pagan people. And there was incredible social pressure each ways. From the pagan Greek world, there was pressure upon Jewish people to go through an actual physical procedure called uncircumcision. It's a a gruesome thing. But by doing this, you could align yourself with the Hellenistic world and be considered wise in the eyes of the Greek world. And, and similarly, there was tremendous pressure from the Jewish world placed upon those in the early church who were largely Gentile people, people who were not Jewish, being saved. And now Jewish people were coming in and putting on social pressure. Hey, Now that you have placed your faith in this Jewish Messiah, you must go through this circumcision procedure because all of God's people in the ages past have been circumcised. There was tremendous social pressure, both from the pagan side of the world and from the very religious side of the world. And Paul is saying, these things don't mean anything. And then he says, what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Can you expound on that, Paul? He does in Galatians chapter 5 on this very issue. Here is Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. That's what matters. In other words, if you are in Christ Jesus, who's he talking about? Christians, people who by faith have been saved. If you are in Christ Jesus, what matters is not whether or not you've had a procedure done. What matters is your faith in Jesus Christ working, that's day by day, work. You know, what what did we call it in the announcements? Service opportunity? Yeah, that's what it was. Your faith working through love. That's what matters on the other side of salvation. You don't just get saved and be like, okay, I'm fire insurance. I'm done now. I'm in great shape. No, no. You do not have fellowship with God if you are not impacted by your relationship with God in some meaningful way. I mean, if you, I told the youth this this morning in Sunday school class. If you just hung out with me every day, just we spent, you know, six, seven, eight hours together every day, we just spent that time, you would be impacted in some way, by spending all that time with me, and I would be impacted in some way by spending all that time with you, it would affect us. It would have, you may hate me, but it would have, and maybe the impact would be depression and anger and anxiety. I have no idea, but but it would have an impact, right? You cannot say, I have fellowship with Jesus Christ, but 
it has virtually no impact in my life. No, no, no. Friends, if you have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, work is going to be done that is going to be obvious and apparent. (laughs) This is what he means by, as God has called you, so walk. Walking means going through life, accomplishing things, doing things, proceeding. What matters then is not pressures from society to conform to some outward standard. What matters is what a Christian accomplishes in this race that's set before them for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why does he say that? Well, because, again, you are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for this life. And the guy who holds up his CEO business card and his multi-million dollar inheritance that he left to his children won't have anything up against the bricklayer who went about his business every day glorifying God, encouraging his co-workers, loving his family, and supporting his local believers. Won't have anything. That's faith working through love. The other is just dust to dust and ashes to ashes. So, Verses 18 through 20 dealing with social pressure. Verses 21 through 23 with circumstances. Were you called while a slave? Don't be concerned about it. Boy, Paul, what a callous thing to say. Is Paul trying to say that slavery is no big deal? That slavery is, is somehow, you know, not inconvenient to use a double negative? Is he trying to pretend that it's... it's You know, it's perfectly reasonable and perfect. Of course not. Look at what he says next. But if you can be made free, rather use it. And he goes on to say, um, verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. In other words, he's not saying slavery's a good thing. Slavery's ideal. Pretend as if your slavery is is no big thing. No, he acknowledges, if if you can get your freedom, get your freedom. And certainly those of you who are free, don't sign up to be someone else's slave. Serve the Lord instead. That's what he's saying. But when he says, do not be concerned about it, he has in mind verse 22 and the idea of calling. Because a person who is a slave might wrestle, how can I do anything worthwhile for the Lord if I've got to spend my life obeying this master. Now, I don't think anybody in this room is a slave. If you are, see me after the service because we've got to work on that. That's illegal, and so I'll help get you out of that. I don't think anyone here is a slave. But, if you have a very full, mundane life of obligation, and you wonder, how in the world can I do anything of consequence and how in the world can I serve God? How, in the, how can I do what God is calling me to do? Brother and sister, serve God in the life that He has called you to live. Run the race that is set before you. Now, if you can obtain more freedom to serve God more freely, great. Great! But if God has called you to work those hours because you provide for your family, if God has called you to contribute in groups that if God has put you on a path, glorify God in the path that he's put you on. With all your heart, glorify God in the path that he's put you on. 
This is what he says in verse 22. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. In other words, God is not limited in his use of you. God is not limited in his purposes in your life just because you owe someone else your allegiance. You may be a slave to someone else, but the Lord sees you as free for service. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. This hits home for the majority of us. Because most of us are not going to work 12 hours a day just to scrape by and feed our families. Most of us are not overly consumed with our schedule because we have to do it in order to get by. Understand, if you are free and God has called you into this identity, this relationship, this understanding, and this purpose, you are His servant. And you don't have to give an explanation to me of how you are serving God because you're not my servant. But all of the parables of Jesus and the instruction on this topic make it clear. You will give an account to the Lord. The parable of the talents. The master distributes and he goes away and then upon his return he calls his three servants to whom he distributed to give an account for what they had done and two had done well and two were commended and two were approved and two were told in the parable now enter into the joy of your Lord and one did nothing precious little I don't know what he was doing the whole time his master was away but he wasn't doing anything with the master's resources according to the master's plan he took his talent he buried it in the sand Everything else he did was his own free time and his own free purpose. And when his master called him to account, he said, Depart from me, you wicked servant. Cast this one into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So understand, if you are called while free, you are Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Don't become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. Verse 24, what does it mean? Does it mean you should never try to accomplish anything in life? Never take a promotion. If you're single, never get married. If you're a slave, don't ever try to become free. We know that's not what it's saying. So what does he mean in verse 24 when he says, Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. What does he mean? Christian conversion is not the signal for a person to change jobs and change families and to go attack all of their external circumstances. Following Jesus is embracing a life of sacrifice. And those external circumstances may change. But serving the Lord Jesus is not about climbing a ladder or getting away from a family or marrying into a new family. All of those life experiences will happen or not happen on the course which God has set before us. But what God has called us to is to serve Him in whatever condition we are called. And here's my last thought on this as we close. I know it's been long. We've done a lot of stuff and we're going to baptize.
Anyone who is trusting Jesus to get something better for their life externally is misunderstanding the cross. Anyone whose Christian faith, whose religious expression is motivated by an attempt to try to get something better externally for their life doesn't understand Jesus' calling to a crucifixion. I think calling is an important thing. But it does require a long view. I can say that God has called me to riches and He has called me to life and He has called me to fellowship and all those things are true. And I may not experience one of them in this earthly life. But by faith, I will have every one of them. I will have every one of them. And what I accomplish in my life by humbly glorifying God in whatever path I'm on will put to shame all the glories that this world has to offer. That's not pie-in-the-sky hope. That is my real conviction. I will obtain an inheritance in Jesus Christ. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the patience of your people, and I thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. Give us a sense of purpose that you can fulfill, rather than the frustrations and the emptiness of pursuing worldly things. Father, give us worldly things that are good for us. Give us earthly blessings that will benefit us, that will bring glory to your name. But don't let them become our gods. Don't let them become our chief pursuits. Help us to glorify you and run the race that's been set before us and to run it well. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.